0: Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. We've used science
1: to to prolong
0: life, to increase security and happiness.
1: But it can also be used for destruction. Are we going to use it constructively?
0: It'll be up to you.
1: YouTube. Todd Workoven. Mark Middleton, it is so good to see you again. It is. Good to see we're, you too. How's it going? Oh, it's going just as it always is going every every other day of every other whatever year, millennia, whatever. we're stuck in, right? Exactly. <laughs> we're stuck in. But yeah. yeah, I think things down here are fine, so... Uh. Um, I don't know if you've heard the the political
0: news. Uh, there's there's a uh, bipartisan coalition of legislators who are working with the Senate, and what they're doing is they're they're introducing legislation for uh, allowing cannabis federally for the uh, treatment of um, arthritis pain. Oh, nice! Yeah, it, it's uh, joint support for joint support for joint support
1: (laughs) (laughs) if it didn't have that third joint support i would have been upset and i don't have anything i don't have any sounders so i'll have to play my oh there we go i'll have to play my bird call that brian got me (laughs) so he gets one bird you get one bird call for that joke one bird call awesome (laughs) Oh, ah, yeah. <clears> it feels like we haven't done this in forever, but we were here just last week for Portland at the movies. So it hasn't been it hasn't been too long. Um, right. I've got uh, a couple stories that I've been sitting on, so hopefully that won't take too long. Did you pull any stories, too, or should I just plow through all of these?
0: Um, I I read through most of them. Uh, OK, well, then plow, let's plow let's through. switch
1: yeah, let's oh, well, let's switch off stories though. So I'll start off with some uh, some fun news about smart toilet uh, smart toilet. So a and smart toilet prints. recognizes users by their quote, anal print and can detect early signs of cancer. So the gadget uh, uh, analyzes the basic biochemical uh, composition of what they're calling excreta. Uh, with urine samples go- undergoing physical and molecular analysis, while stool assessments is based on physical characteristics. So, I guess the toilet doesn't do anything. You still have to just like look, look <laughs> at your own poop to to do that. So, um, but another way that uh, all of this interesting technology to monitor our bodies and our health uh, are soon going to pervade our entire house. Pretty soon, oh, yes. our- Alexa's are going to be listening to us on the in the bathroom. Although you <laughs> literally have an Alexa in your bathroom, so that's already been happening for a while.
0: It is. It's uh it's uh Google home technically. But uh yeah when my when my toilet is telling me about my medical diagnosis <laughs> yeah, that's yeah What a time to what a time to be alive. And I, I'm glad anal print wasn't what I was thinking. I was thinking more like <laughs> From an Visually... art,
1: an art stamp. From a Robert Maplethorpe point of view, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like a, a, an abstract chocolate starfish kind of. Uh, oh or... boy! Well, I'm going to distract us <laughs> by holding this up this other thing that I actually bought <laughs> off the internet. I was showing you something that I bought for uh, for Brian for his birthday this week. The unipiper. Um, I am holding a what they call a TENS unit, which I can't remember now what TENS stands for, something tensile electrode, something right there. But it basically is uh, is one of those things where you put on the little electrode pads, and it sends little shots of... I of think elect-
0: neurostimulator is probably the NS. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's,
1: that's true. So I had been using – I've had this stupid shoulder injury for, like, two and a half years now, and it was just never getting better. And I went to the chiropractor, and he used one of these on me, and, like, I instantly felt a change. And so it turns out that uh, Colin, Colin's mom, uh, the house where I work at – it uh, has one of these, and, and, you know, bought it a couple of years ago or whatever. And so I was using that and I actually went to buy one myself. And so the last two days I've been flying on my, on my tens unit, just cranking that thing up for like three hours a night as I'm sitting there and it's I'll like, I'll put my, it is. Yeah. And so the, there's this huge knot in my back shoulder because everything's just atrophied in the wrong place since this injury. And so you're, I have to, basically just jackhammer all the knots out and so like i'll kind of move my arm around while it's on to so it engages different muscles and like i'll hold my hand up and it'll just like either curl into a ball or just like extend and i'm just like sitting there like i'm having a seizure and it's just so funny to sit there (laughs) while that's just going through your body But I was telling my dad about it, too. He's like, oh, yeah, in the 60s, we used to do that after basketball practice. They would just shoot us up with electricity and then an ice bath afterwards, which is basically the instructions for this thing. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. My mom had a 10s unit in the in the 80s. after Having a
1: back injury.
0: And uh, yeah, save her life, basically.
1: It's so funny that like I don't know what kind of data they had back then for actually kind of seeing if these thing old these old treatments like leeches and tens units, like why they were working, but that they did work, but then it falls out of favor because we think, well, new science has these new things and medications and, and the things to use and things just fall out of favor. It's really kind of funny.
0: Yeah, that's pretty great. All right. Why don't you
1: tell us about pandas?
0: Pandas. Yeah. I, uh, I've seen a couple articles about this recently. So, Uh, The pandas are using lockdown privacy to mate after a decade of trying. So now that all the prying eyes of all the camera phones and people are out of the zoo, uh, Yingying and (laughs) Lili's arrival in Hong Kong in 2007 uh, attempts at natural mating since 2010. They unfortunately have yet to succeed until the pandemic this year upon uh, uh, until this year upon years of trial and learning. said Ocean Park conser- Conservation <laughs> Official Michael Boos. So uh, the park released photos of the pair, and and they are uh, getting it on. And, and who knew that just having 100 people stare at you would make somebody nervous from... A little performance anxiety. A little performance anxiety. So, yeah, pandas, uh, pandas are mating again in the zoos as uh, the lack of humans there are... Um, are no longer their experts will now monitor Yingying for signs of pregnancy, but it may be quite some wait as the gestation period for giant pandas range from
1: seventy two to <laughs> three hundred and twenty four <I>, days. This <laughs> is the part of the article where I was like, "Well, like this, getting Lingling ling- to get laid." I know has been like a story since we were kids. I mean, totally. I have been hearing about this my whole life. You think in between when I was 7 and 45, you figured out they'd be able to narrow down the gestation rate from 72 to 324 days. Although, if none of them have ever gotten pregnant, how would they know, I guess? I yeah, I feel like two
0: have ever gotten pregnant. One was at 72 days and one was at 324. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's probably true because then it says <laughs> the ultrasound, um, let's see, the confirmation of the pregnancy can only be detected by an ultrasound scan from 14 to 17 days before birth. So they don't what? like even show that they're pregnant until they're like basically giving birth on the floor. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Wow attempts at natural mating since uh 2010 what are they me (laughs) 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 all right well uh people speaking of a program that you were talking a little bit beforehand uh, before we recorded about some new job prospects that you have and uh the different programming languages that you use to program um if you do need some things to do if you know COBOL The 40-year-old programming system, you have a job. So states who uh, are all admitting that it's struggling to process a lot of these uh, unemployment claims because it's using a 40-year-old system uh, compromised of COBOL mainframe and four other separate systems. So, quote, it's a programming language that we use to create a very significant percentage of business systems over the period of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, Uh, but over time coders have obviously moved on, but all of these programs still work. We've sort of talked about that when, um, we'll talk about the nuclear codes or whatever. They're like, they're still run on floppy disk, but because they just need to do like a very specific thing, there's not really a reason to invent a new wheel and do anything with it.
0: Yeah. I had a friend who was a COBOL programmer for chase Manhattan bank. Uh, you know, like, 10 years ago you know and at that time it was an archived old ancient language uh and you know we made fun of him back then and uh, who's you know, laughing now, now who's laughing now <laughs> exactly you uh, write your paycheck like you seriously write, you know, yeah
1: So it says the the COBOL programmers are generally much older than the average age of the coder, um, and universities haven't even taught COBOL since uh, the 1980s for the most part. But every day, there are 220 billion lines of COBOL uh, used. Uh, So 43% of the banking systems are built on COBOL, and 95% of ATMs uh, rely on COBOL uh, COBOL code. So... um, that's pretty crazy, and there's millions of other uh, uh, lines of other legacy programming languages. so um I think one of the things that I'm hoping this uh this time in our lives points to is that we probably should have uh, as 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 the not nerd podcast says, one backup is none backup, and it doesn't look like we have <laughs> one backup of a lot of these systems. so kind of the importance of um uh, having a robust way to do that, and usually that just means more taxes, which is unfortunate. but uh, seeing that our tax dollars go to the the right places so that we're when we're stuck in times like this, we're not uh, on this terrible backlog that nobody can get their unemployment checks um, uh, processed. So uh. good times.
0: Uh, let's see. so. The Army is building drones that can be fired from grenade launchers. Yes. (laughs) That's awesome. So engineers at the U.S. Army's Aberdeen Proving Grounds are working on a small drone capable of being shot from the service's new grenade launcher. The drone fired from the M320 grenade launcher could loiter over the battlefield for more than an hour, allowing troops to locate enemies without endangering themselves. So the drone would effectively give groups of 2 or 3 soldiers their own spy aircraft and which is brilliant yeah uh, yeah so um uh the the name of the system a grenade launched unmanned aerial system or glaws is designed <laughs> to produce a miniature drone that can be launched from the army's new M320 grenade launcher yeah it can also be Fitted with a buttstock and foregrip and used in a standalone configuration so you can kind of slingshot it up. Yeah, I uh, I mostly
1: just left that paragraph in because it said buttstock, so <laughs> <laughs> nice. But yeah, it, it looks like this is from a, a longer article in public uh, Popular Mechanics, but it had some illustrations and and breakdowns of what it looked like, and, and it's just sort of what you're picturing is kind of a missile coming out of a grenade launcher and then kind of unfolding itself and having the fins spring out, and uh, you've got your you've got your one of those selfie drones that follow you <laughs> follow you around and. Uh, this this new Super generation smart. of war is going to be really scary and really fascinating.
0: Well, everybody knows how to work from home now. I think it's just <laughs> going to be done in people's living rooms.
1: It will literally just be a game of Counter-Strike that everybody all the world leaders are are playing. <laughs> wasn't
0: that well, that wasn't really the plot I was thinking of um the uh the 1980s classic with um uh, start not Starman. Um, greeting Starfighter.
1: Um, oh, the last Star, the last Starfighter, yeah. Oh, the last yeah, Starfighter. yeah, yeah.
0: Where they put a video game out so that they could find uh, a quality fighter, uh, and then they um, recruited him and brought him in, recruited
1: recruited him to space, yeah. That's great. Um, well, some good news from Virginia. Uh, Virginia Governor Ralph Northam announced Sunday that he has signed a series of new measures into law aimed at expanding access to voting in the Commonwealth. Uh, the new legend. Can everything be a Commonwealth?
0: I don't think so. <clears throat> is that Commonwealths just. Are, th- those are the the
1: first states, I believe. Right. I, I, is, does I that, is that what the word specifically means? I wonder Commonwealth. Anyway, I'll, I guess I'll that's find a... out why you've been. OK, the new legislation will establish Election Day as a holiday and remove the uh, requirement of voters to show photo ID uh, before casting a ballot. I know that's always a a much ballyhooed part of these things is photo ID. But if you look into um, the process of getting some photo IDs, uh, it tend to um, it tends to be another way that's that sounds like we're making something safe but really just makes it un makes voting and other things unavailable for certain segments of the population because we think, well everybody's got a driver's license when that's not the case at all. Um so having a photo ID is this extra step kind of a voting tax in a way that lots of people don't have access to or whatever. So um it's always brought up, well you know, photo IDs, this and that, which is um, a sound good thing that isn't necessarily in practice a great thing, but um, so it would remove the requirements for photo ID and expand early voting to be allowed 45 days before an elect- uh, an election without stated reason. He said, voting is a fundamental right, and these new laws strengthen our democracy by making it easier to cast a ballot, not harder. No matter who you are or where you live in Virginia, your voice deserves to be heard, blah, blah, blah. Um, several states and cities have already made Election Day a civic holiday, uh, including Delaware. These well, like nothing. None of these states have anything in common. Delaware, Hawaii, Kentucky, and New York, which is a really weird cross-section. Huh. Because that, like, hits every – that's what, like, when you make movies, they call something a four-quadrant movie where there are four core demographics that make up moviegoers, and you have to have something for each of those things in order to make the most money or whatever. So this is, like, a four-quadrant movement for uh, making Election Day a holiday. So uh, proponents say making Election Day a holiday uh, could improve voter turnout, but – It may not become a federal holiday anytime soon because it's drawn deep division upon party lines. Uh, In January 2019, Democrats proposed a sweeping bill that would make it a a holiday. But guess who? Our favorite person in the world, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, said the measure would pay government (laughs) workers. He said this measure would just pay government workers to, quote, hang out at the polls during an election. So I don't. I guess whatever that means, uh, so the all of that stuff is always usually voted down by Mitch McConnell and any sort of election reform or uh, election access, uh which it's interesting to see the spread of the spread of what I'll call talking points. It's interesting because in uh, I don't have cable news, and I don't typically go into a lot of news on the internet as far as like I read a certain source or whatever. I just sort of keep it to broad stroke headlines unless something's like unfolding or whatever. You can dig deeper. But so in the morning I I wake up and and put Drudge because he's got a big bold headline that tells me everything that's going on. And then I'll just kind of go to Facebook and people, you know, post stuff there and you can kind of get a read. But within 10 minutes, I can probably tell you all of the talking points that have been on Uh, Fox, Fox News and the talking points that come from CNN, because not only do people post an article from them, but they all oddly use the same phrases and the same little resources. And it's been fascinating to watch like a sped up version of that with this new conspiracy that is really taking hold about Bill Gates about how he's using this to dot 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 (laughs) kill two two billion people for reasons. I I don't know what the reasons are. That's never part of it. But it is. His vaccine's got a microchip in it. Yeah. And it's crazy how wide and quickly that has spread that I'm even like seeing Bill Gates is evil. And like just all and I'm and I don't really know the origin of that one the only thing I can figure out is that so for a while we had Dr. Fauci giving us the daily briefings blah 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 at some point there was a falling out with him and Trump because there was a disagreement on something or other I don't know the details but now because of that quote-unquote dissent Fauci is now on the outs uh, with the Trump crowd. And since uh, Fauci and Gates are working together on vaccines and and rollouts and all of that, Gates, through association with Dr. Fauci, is now the enemy of the extreme right wing. Is that right?
0: It, I mean, you've you've pretty much encapsulated it as as far as I I can. Uh, so do you I know
1: if if Fox News has been running stories on that or I I like I almost feel it's a little bit even more underground than that?
0: Uh, but I don't there, know. Yeah, there there's definitely been uh, two or three members of Fox News that have been uh, driving the wedge between Fauci and Trump. Right. Uh, and then by, you know, the, the loose associations and, and Fox news is, is clever. They do it in ways to, uh, shirk responsibility. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and, and so they'll allude to something and then somebody will write an article about it and, and drive, drive it deeper.
1: But, but Yeah. It's just insane how how, qui- like I said, quickly that that even that just attitude about Bill Gates all of a sudden has spread out, and that it's just because of this association with someone who had like a mild disagreement, and then meanwhile everyone every every person in power on Earth has direct links to Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> And like, that gets zero traction. But anyway, yeah, that's (laughs) been fascinating. But let's move to some progress. Uh, Land O'Lakes. Oh, I I don't mean to steal your next story, but uh, Land O'Lakes has quietly removed the Native woman from its packaging. Now, if you if you know your butter like I do, you will know the Land O'Lakes packaging, which has the um, the Native American woman that is kind of kneeling and and presenting the butter or whatever as a gift. Uh, so she has graced that packaging since the 1920s. Her name was Mia, and she was shown sitting in a serene landscape of landscape and woods. Um, that landscape will remain on the packaging, but the Mia re- is nowhere to be found.
0: Are they replacing it with a
1: pipeline? <laughs> It's just a big pipe, just spewing oil into the crops that the cows are eating to make the butter. Uh, <laughs> on some places, she uh, on some packages, she's replaced by photos of Land O'Lakes butter. One of my favorite Land O'Lakes things is if you look at the little tag that says uh, the price on the like on the shelf, it'll just be LOL butter, which always makes me LOL when I see it. Um, <laughs> So it's about hitting its 100th anniversary. The company was started. Uh, that's weird because it says it started in 1921, but it's been on the product since 1920. So I'm not quite sure how that lines up, but they make $14 billion in sales uh, every year. So there Did we you go.
0: know that Iron Eyes Cody, uh, the crying Indian from the 70s and 80s, who I... As a child I had a poster hand signed by him. I saw him in a mall and and that he signed is... a poster for me. Um Iron Eyes Cody was not Native American. He yeah, was, he was 100% Sicilian. <laughs> like I, a hundred percent
1: Italian. Like a hundred like I think he is literally from Italy. Yeah, yeah, like his fa-
0: his family is is straight from Sicily. Yeah, yeah
1: so that I, that is hilarious to me. And my memory of Iron Eyes Cody, and for anyone who doesn't remember that, there was that popular uh, that popular ad in the '70s that showed like a car going down the road and litter coming out of the car. And then the litter lands on the side of the road and a Native American picks it up and looks at it and has like the single tear that comes down his face. And that that quote unquote Native American was Iron Eyes Cody, who had (laughs) then an entire career of being Iron Eyes Cody. Yeah. Like, for the rest of his life. And he lived until he and was, like, 600 years old. He was very <laughs> old when he died. Very and old when he died. Every year, and my family and I would go to the uh, Rose Parade in Pasadena, the yep. big New Year's Day Rose Parade. And he was always always in it riding a horse. And I remember toward the end of, it, I mean, he must have been in his 80s or 90s, and he would literally be sh- strapped down to his horse. Yes, Mark, you're doing it too. And leaning <laughs> on the horse at a 45 degree angle just like, I'm. thankfully I'm on my exercise ball right now so I can do a good just like <laughs> bouncing down the street and at not until after we he died did anyone re- n- know that he was not a Native American. So how many Rose parades did you watch in person? Ah, uh, boy, I would say from the ages of four or five until I was nineteen, so I mean all of so my childhood.
0: Do you remember? I believe it was it was either eighty four or eighty six, um, there was the actual lantern from the Statue of Liberty was on one of the floats they were doing the renovation of the statue of liberty yeah and they replaced the flame and and the torch of the statue of liberty and so the old torch that is now in the statue of liberty museum i think yeah uh was paraded around literally around the world and uh it was in the Rose Parade. And that was probably the last Rose Parade that I saw in person. Oh, wow. And so, uh, yeah. A
1: hundred percent. I was at that, at that <laughs> so, Rose Parade.
0: So you and I uh, attended the same event as a child. That's, <laughs>
1: that's great. so great. Did you, would you, that's, is that the only one that you saw? Uh,
0: that was the latest one I saw. So okay. what happened was we had a friend who lived four blocks off of Colorado and uh colorado boulevard and so we would home base at their house and uh be down there on the sidewalk until they opened up the you know 10 foot into the street yeah and then we'd all you know get our spots in the street and then we'd spend the night and it was it was such a party all you know until the yeah until the party until the parade was over like It was, uh, you know, so we'd bring our sleeping bags down there and sleep on the side and in in the street and and do all this stuff.
1: Yeah, Yeah. we would always go in a big group, like from our church and all of the dads would get up at like three in the morning and they would go towards the end of the route and they would set up like two picnic tables. And then uh, throughout the morning, like the wives and the kids and like everybody would show up. So we'd have groups of like 50 people and we'd go every year and we'd always be at the very end of the parade route. So like. Half of the floats would be broken. The marching bands were so exhausted. The like all the tuba players were just like <laughs> they looked like they wanted to die and like everybody was just oh, exhausted. Yeah. And it was uh it was so fun. Um it was 1985. Wow, yeah, a hundred percent. I was there because that was right in the middle of of childhood. So um there is some. Uh, oh, why don't you tell us about the 30th anniversary of Hubble?
0: Okay, hold on one second. I, <laughs> I'm still trapped on this, this, uh, this one little thing. Oh, you're showing
1: thing. me the. Oh my gosh, totally. You're showing me the actual float <laughs> that it was on. Yeah. I totally remember that. Uh, yeah, it's like <laughs> a flat funny. float presented by the Hilton, and there's a lady waving. I don't know who she is on, kind of on a, f- a front platform and then there was a middle with the actual lantern and then like a flower a flower yeah. picture of wow that and, is so and and i remember
0: there was there was some controversy because it, it they had to cover it with flowers to meet the guidelines yeah. of the of the parade yes cuz 100% uh,
1: of the uh, of the things on there need to have organic flowers or flower related materials on it, which is always, it's so neat to see those things so close, uh, when you're a kid. Absolutely. And And I'm so glad. uh, Did you ever go up in the statue of Liberty? I have not. Oh, wow. Well, you can't and and you won't because you can't. (laughs) Uh, but I was (laughs) thankfully able to do that as a kid to go up to the, not to the lantern, but at that, at that, at the time in the eighties, you were able to go up to the crown and look at and yeah. it just it was so small and in the smallest it's a double a double spiral staircase so you i mean and it you, there is no room to move like <laughs> it was so weird how small it was uh inside because you think oh it's like you can stand and like it's walk massive. around in the crown right. and uh not at all anyway
0: <laughs> all right uh hubble's 30th anniversary so the hubble space telescope turns 30 today Uh, just a few days ago on the 24th. Um, As it was launched aboard the space shuttle Discovery on April 24th, 1990, ever since it captured the first image a few weeks later, the telescope has entranced the public with its views of objects near and far. So uh, the European Space Agency is uh, commemorating the telescope's birthday uh, along with NASA by releasing a commemorative 30th anniversary image showing our beautiful galactic neighbor, the large megalanic, <laughs> Magellanic?
1: I, I guess. Me- Magellanic. megalanic
0: Cloud, the <laughs> LMC, which orbits around the Milky Way at a distance of approximately 163,000 light years from Earth. The image has been nicknamed the Cosmic Reef as it recalls underwater corals.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty cool picture. Um, yeah, it's amazing. But I do remember, of course, when the Hubble Telescope first went up, it was that fiasco of everything was blurry because they forgot to do the inches to millimeter or whatever they yeah. whatever. Uh, and there's there's an interesting story about the engineer who came up
0: with the solution. He literally um, engineered the idea while taking a shower. Be, uh, by he had a sh- like multiple shower heads um uh coming out of the same spigot and each one was on its own pivot arm and and it was that that inspired the fix uh and the fix worked perfectly what was the fix uh, do you know uh science i I don't know (laughs) his science yeah it it was uh installing some you know uh multi-armed a uh, device that realigned the mirrors, basically. Wow, that's yeah. so
1: crazy. Ah, uh, well, very sad news for uh, a certain segment of the population, and that is iconic Mad Magazine character caricature artist Mort Drucker uh, passed away. He was at uh, 91. So, uh, if anyone is a fan of Mad Magazine, that you will know, especially in the 70s and 80s, Mort Drucker, who did these just amazing. Uh, caricatures when they would do their TV or or movie satires and they weren't like the old kind of traditional like super exaggerated characters caricatures but just really realistic and he would show up in so many different things. So let's kind of go over here. Uh, He was born in 1929 and started work on a uh, newspaper strip called Debbie Dean in 1947 uh, thanks to a recommendation by legendary uh, cartoonist Will Eisner. Now, uh, Eisner, they named the Eisner Awards after them and those are like the Oscars of the comic book world or the Eisners. Um, So he assembled a portfolio of comics to work over the next 10 years or so uh, and then was brought into Mad magazine's offices in 1956 in hoping uh, in hopes of getting a regular cartoonist job. He hadn't yet perfected his caricature style and at the time the magazine had only done an, an occasional pop culture parody. But that quickly changed in the 60s when every issue began to have some kind of movie or TV parody with most of them being drawn by Drucker himself over five decades. So his style is iconic. If you don't know who Mort Drucker is, you can Google him. It's M-O-R-T Drucker. Um, and you'll totally recognize it. He was on covers of Time magazine. Everything. And he did, I remember, he did a <sighs> cover for the heavy metal band Anthrax uh, when oh, in yeah. the in the early 80s or whatever. And I had this metalhead friend. That uh, every time I saw that, I would say, hey, Mort Drucker drew that and like try to tell him about <laughs> Mad Magazine and he like could never be l- any less, less- interested than, than what it was. Um, but he also did a lot of poetry, the poster for American Graffiti, um, just a ton of like ton of a ton of stuff. So you totally know his work. Um, he lived to the ripe age of, of 91. So that, that was a great a great long run, but a sad loss. Um, but indeed one of my, I guess kind of look, I've never thought of him as like, who are your favorite artists? But I would totally put him like as one of my favorite artists just for his, his style and, and what he did, I think to legitimize the legitimatize, legitimatize, legitimize the, uh, legitimize the style and of, of parody (laughs) and mad magazine. So
0: RIP. So I, I read this next article and and I love this article. So in Klamath Falls, there was a film uh, filmed recently called Phoenix, Oregon. And through this uh, pandemic and subsequent closing of theaters, a fluke happened and it became the number one movie in America. So uh, it's produced by an Ashland based production company, Joma Films was slated to open at select theaters across the country on March 20th. By the release date, however, crowd restriction orders had shut down theaters and the film industry as a whole, and in an effort to salvage the film's release, Joma Films turned online. Tickets to see the film through a one-time link at a cost of $6.50 garnered what under normal circumstances would be considered a massive Flop, they made a total of three thousand eight hundred and forty two dollars, which for the opening weekend of March 20th and 22nd made it the number one movie (laughs) in America. And uh, so there was technically one other competitor lost in America, and so that movie made even less. Wow! Uh, so the film was shot over roughly a month in May of 2018. Around downtown Klamath Falls, there's a there's a metropolis yeah. and key locations such as Hanscom Bowling Center, <laughs> the Daily Bagel, Silvertip Mobile Home Park, and Italiana's Restaurante. Uh, so <laughs> well, don't forget the Rooster's casting...
1: Steak and Chop House, <laughs> <laughs> Roosters,
0: <laughs> uh, and Rodeo's Pizza and Salanderia. The Salanderia. Saladeria. I've
1: never heard of a
0: Saladeria. Saladeria. It's super fancy. (laughs) Uh, The cast and crew took up residency at the Cerulean Hotel during the production, and the adjacent Waffle Hut eatery (laughs) became a second home for the actors and film team.
1: Oh, I would give any amount of money to have a Waffle Hut near my house. (laughs) Yes. It's still on my bucket list is to go to a Waffle House. I've never
0: been to one. I've, I've never been to one either. We should have a Market Toddcast road trip to, to go to waffle. House. We can <laughs> the d- closest waffle hut, waffle house.
1: I wonder what the Waffle House Index is right now because, as you know, the Waffle House Index indicates how many Waffle Houses are closed uh, in a national disaster, uh, which means how how severe that disaster is. So I wonder. I bet. You, I wonder if they can only do takeout orders. Coronavirus is a Waffle House Index red. <gasps> oh man. That's, you know, that's so much more valuable than what the stock market is doing, because according to the stock market, this is the best time in history. So maybe restaurant chain shuttered
0: four hundred and eighteen stores. Wow. So uh, that put it in the in the uh, usually open 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days a year. So the Waffle House index uh, has been updated to red. FEMA's unofficial storm index goes red as uh, Waffle House's
1: close. Wow. Well, there you have it. That's Those are the times we live in. We live in Waffle House Red. Um, I'm going to skip this last story. Uh, it's a, It says a new false memory study suggests people can't tell what's real. Uh, and so it looks into not being able to implant false memories necessarily, but um, 70% of volunteers could be made to recall false memories of having... Say, committed crimes as a preteen, which seems crazy, um, but it's just all about manipulating the different. Oh, nice. I just clicked back to my Zoom to see one of your wonderful backgrounds. I just was uh, on an Imager post that had various different Zoom backgrounds, all of which were really hilarious. But um, so we're going to be talking a little bit more about false memories and messing with the human mind and our main topic here. Um, our, oh, there's a kitty. <laughs> behind you so
0: we're gonna take this is a, a four 4k demo reel it's, oh really just like great videos it's beautiful and so, so it's
1: I, beautiful. you enjoy that for a while i'm gonna take a quick break to go to the bathroom and we will back be uh back in a second so all right like my, my covid mustache is coming in nice uh yeah
0: i'm not cutting my hair or my uh, oh, side burns, sideburns,
1: and it's it's just going it's going crazy i have a feeling if i just in the next couple of weeks that things don't open where i'm gonna just shave my hair because it's just starting to drive me crazy nice
0: yeah my my hair just ends up looking like an like an old clown, as <laughs> <laughs> just comes out the side, grayish, like Bernie Sanders esque.
1: Yeah. Bernie, I. totally.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: All right, so are we ready to get back into it? Indeed. Okay. Sadly, I won't be able to watch you during this because I have to look at my Google Doc. Um. <laughs> so I wanted to talk a little bit about something called MK Ultra now uh speaking of weird talking a little bit I forget if it was on on the podcast or before about about YouTube algorithms and being served up different things I've fallen down enough uh conspiracy theory rabbit holes speaking of Bill Gates that um the MK ultra was a term that kept coming up I'm I'm glad I can't see you because now that I've flipped back to where to see you, I'm so distracted by the 4K background of grape picking <laughs> and and harvesting of crops that's going on right now. So I'm just going to yeah, shut I my just... window. Oh, you've got that. <laughs> nice. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Um, but MKUltra is something that I always hear when conspiracies are talked about, but I've never really known what it is. So I thought it would be interesting to kind of dive into the re uh the what is a very real thing but which has also been used to like bolster every single conspiracy theory like ever because it does happen that this one is true so it does there are a lot of rabbit holes within this rabbit hole because it has to do with kind of how uh the cia has all these different projects that kind of roll into one another or kind of change from, from time to time, depending on what, (laughs) I can't, I want to be able to look at you when I talk, but every time I flip back, now you're in the cockpit of, (laughs) of an airplane from Top Gun and it says Top Gun Maverick and you're doing an, an upside down pass over the Swiss Alps. It looks like. So, dang damn it. I don't know if I would have to... got to
0: keep you entertained. I know. I
1: don't, I'm going to have to edit this, maybe, or probably not. <laughs> but um, So, uh, a look kind of at the CIA in general uh, kind of came into formation uh, in the wake of World War II. There was something called Operation Paperclip, which if you're familiar with conspiracy theories of any kind, this is another name that also comes up. Now, Operation Paperclip, part of that had to do with all of the scientists from around the world that had been working with the United States uh, on the bomb and all of these different things uh, in Germany specifically to um, further different mind control or not mind control, but just different weapons that they could use uh, chemicals or, or mental warfare or things like that after the war, all of those scientists went back to their own countries which really made the United States nervous because now all of those people you know, go back to China or go back to Japan and go back to all these places that may or may not be our em- enemies, developing different things that we might not be able to just shoot out of the air like we're used to. Um, so this paranoia and the Cold War begins and the CIA uh, starts looking into all of these different uh, things, uh, especially coming out of Nazi Germany, about subduing and controlling the human mind. Now, uh, in Nazi Germany, a lot of experiments were done with different chemicals and different ways of mind control and and um, all of that. So we thought, why not us? Why don't we do that? So uh, over 150 projects that were split over about 80 institutions uh, happened during the years from like 1953 to 1971, which is officially when the programs of MK Ultra were in uh, were working. Uh, a lot of those institutions didn't know that they were actually working with the CIA. They would, I mean, the CIA would just kind of subcontract these projects to different places, different psychologists, and different people studying different things, kind of keep them all separate, not really knowing what the overarching goal was. Hmm. So uh, the project was headed by a guy named Sidney Gottlieb, who was a chemist and a poisons expert. Um, And he was directed to start this project by a guy named Alan Dulles, who was the CIA director in 1953. So the CIA wanted to use similar methods on their own captives and was interested in manipulating foreign leaders such as uh, uh, Fidel Castro. We've talked many times on our, on our show about the different weird ways they tried to use ex- like exploding cigars and all that stuff to get rid of Fidel Castro. Um, and there's also indication that some of these MK Ultra projects uh, were used to create a to see if they can create a Manchurian candidate, uh, which became popular in the movies. But basically, a Manchurian candidate is someone who is um, is implanted with certain ideas that are triggered by uh, a voice or a command. or I think in the Manchurian candidate, it was like a movie clip that or something that triggered someone into political assassination so it's basically having this army of people who don't know they're being controlled until a trigger happens that they would become uh become assassins so one 1955 uh mk ultra now the word mk ultra is kind of meaningless like a lot of these project things are there's um, so MK-Ultra doesn't seem to have any sport, uh, sort of specific meaning, but it looked into the study of an assortment of mind-altering substances and had 17 directives. I won't go through all of the uh, 17, but they include things like looking into substance, which would promote illogical thinking and impulsiveness uh, so that people would be discredited in public, um, a substance that increased efficiency of, uh, oh, I don't know what the, whatever mentation means, um, but something that would age the victims faster, would intoxicate them, uh, would show signs of diseases so that they would uh, not be trusted. Uh, brain damage, uh, brainwashing, uh, substance that would be physical, that would uh, in uh, that would in de- induce paralysis. Uh, all of these things chemicals that would bruise blister like all of these different things and their effects on the human body uh were the direct um kind of the directives of of mk ultra so and within mk sultra there mk ultra like i said there's all of these different programs 150 different ones which i won't get into too much uh other than to mention them all of them are uh you can kind of do a deep dive if it interests you on your own. There was one named MK Search, uh, which was kind of the MK Ultra branched into a couple different things. So it became MK Ultra became MK Search uh, in 1964 uh, and ended in 1971. Uh, in 1965, when it changed names like that, it became a joint project between the U.S. Army of Chemical Corps. Uh, And the CIA's offices of research and development. So not only was this in the United States, but it reached into Canada, too. So before I get to the Canadian part, uh, let's look at kind of the broader broader view of the experiments on on Americans. So the CIA documents that came to light. The reason we know a lot of this, by the way, is it because the CIA wanted us to. But as this was coming to light, uh, there was a journalist in the 1970s that really dug into this. And really, uh, there's a case that we'll discuss in a little bit uh, of, a, of a guy who either died jumping out or being pushed out of a, a window. Um, and in the 70s, the CIA destroyed almost all of the documents from all of these projects, except for about 20,000 pages that directly relate to MKUltra. So um, the CIA document suggested that they investigated, quote, chemical, biological and radiological methods of mind control, and they spent an estimated $10 million, which today would be about $87.5 million. So a lot of it was uh, taking a look at LSD. uh so one project got underway in April of 1953, uh, including administering LSD to mental patients, prisoners, drug addicts, and sex workers. Or as one agency officer put it, "quote people who could not fight back." In one case, they administered mm. LSD to mental patients uh, to a mental patient in Kentucky for 174 days. They also administered LSD to CIA employees, military personnel, doctors other government agents and members of the general public, often without the subject's knowledge or consent. Uh, There's another subsection called Operation Midnight Climax. That's as exciting (laughs) as it sounds. Uh, And this is where the CIA set up brothels and in the brothels, or they would have the prostitute working with the CIA. The prostitute would lure in the men into a room, like a hotel room with a two way mirror on the other side of the two-way mirror is where the CIA would watch. Um, the prostitute would put LSD in uh, some sort of drink. And so the, man, uh, the men would take it. And the CIA would just observe them for hours to see the effects of the LSD on these people. And obviously, they used uh, brothels and, and prostitutes because the men would be too embarrassed to say that they were doing anything or got out of control and, and stuff like that. So, um uh, heroin addicts were also bribed into taking LSD with thoughts of what? getting more heroin. So, heroin <laughs> heroin users are very yeah. uh, uh very much able to be <laughs> lured into anything by the pro- I I'd, I'd never tried heroin, thank goodness, because I would probably love it and never want to stop. I've heard it described yeah, sure. by heroin addicts um like what does heroin make you feel like and they're like it makes you feel like you want more heroin. <laughs> Which is pretty great. <laughs> and I've, I've also heard it that this is, I don't mean to work blue, but it is a, it's kind of a powerful mental image because I've always, I've this part is nice. I've, I've heard it like, it's as God, like if God in the universe was hugging you, I've heard it described as like a warm embrace by the universe. But I've also heard it described as, it's as if your body was made of a million genitals that were all orgasming at the same time. And I'm like... Wow, that sounds like something oh. that I would probably be on board with. Have I ever tried it? So I'm, a, <laughs> I will never do that. Um, <laughs> but moving on from that, so uh, so there's lots of these cases of LSD being um, slipped into different people's thing. A U.S. marshal named Wayne Ritchie uh, had it slipped into his drink, and he ended up holding up a bar at gunpoint. Uh, he was fired decades later, and he didn't uh, realize he had been the subject of this d- drug testing until 1999. Um, so they obviously wanted to be able to use all this in covert operations and and in tech- using it as a technology for war and spying and stuff like this. Um, but Sidney Gottlieb, who was the guy who started this, the, the chemist and poisons expert, he was a, he knew that there was a difference between doing this in like laboratory settings versus what it would be like in the real world. And so the case that kind of uh, allowed a lot of this to be known was um, because of a man named Dr. Frank Olson. And he was an army chemist who had never taken LSD, but who was covertly dosed. Um, so... He uh, later, this is where the he was either pushed or fell from a 13th story New York uh, City hotel room. Supposedly, the CIA said as a a result of deep depression, Um, but uh, Olson, who uh, Dr. Frank Olson, who was the person who fell out of the window or was pushed had approached his superior sometimes earlier, doubting the morality of the projects they were working on and asked to resign from the CIA. So later forensic evidence conflicted with the official version. Uh, It said when Olson's body was exhumed in 1994, cranial injuries indicated that he had been knocked unconscious before he exited the window. (laughs) I like exited the window. Um, The medical examiner termed Olson's death a homicide. So in 1975, his family received $750,000 from the U.S. government and formal apologies from President Gerald Ford and CIA Director William Colby, Uh, though their apologies were limited that they were just apologizing that he didn't know that he was being dosed, not that he was pushed out a window. Um, so there is a suit as, as late as July of 2013, which was a wrongful death suit. Uh, that suit was dismissed. So a few days before his death, Dr. Olson quit his position as acting chief of the special operations Division. Uh, division because of a severe moral crisis concerning the nature of his biological weapons research among his concerns were the development of assassination materials used by the cia the cia's use of biological materials uh, experimental on those weapons and um blah 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 all of that stuff so um that was something and his family until the 70s didn't No, the only thing that had been said in his um, his death certificate was that he was either fell or pushed and like for (laughs) decades his family like his family was like well what what is that what (laughs) how do you either that doesn't make any sense so um, so thanks to the 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 journalist that looked into that in the 70s that's why a lot of this information still exists so um, it said MK Ultra's researchers later dismissed as uh, LSD as too unpredictable in its results. They gave up on the notion that it was a secret to unlocking the universe, but that it still had its place in the cloak and dagger arsenal. By 1962, the CIA and the army developed a series of super hallucinogens, such as something called the highly touted BZ, which I don't know what that is, but sounds uh, mm. sounds intriguing. There is also obviously research in heroin, morphine, mescaline, psilocybin, uh, cannabis, alcohol, and sodium pentothal. Now, last night I texted you very, very late, uh, asking <laughs> if you could look into sodium pentothal, which is what they always call the the truth the truth, truth se- serum. serum. So and and I didn't. Okay. Do you know anything <laughs> offhand about it or not?
0: Um, I I. I have read uh, about it in the past and the general consensus is it does loosen inhibitions but it doesn't like force you to tell the truth right. and it, it, it it's kind of like hypnosis is is kind of in the same vein okay uh, and and so it's um, it's limitedly effective okay um, and uh and movies and uh, cinema definitely uh, overhype the effectiveness of it.
1: Interesting. I imagine that it's pretty similar to the lie detector, how they can kind of use it, but it's not really a, a metric for really deciding what uh, what they're saying. Um uh, but before I go on too much, we were talking about this Dr. Frank Olson who either fell or was pushed out of a window. There is a whole Netflix series called Wormwood that I know was popular last year that I was going to watch and watch the first episode of it and it didn't finish. It was really good, but uh Warwood tells the story of this Dr. Olson, And oh, it's kind of, a, it's, it's a documentary series, but uh, it also has reenactments um, and the reenactments are like movie quality. I, I think one of the, one of the scars guards or SARS guards are in it. I don't know if it's a Peter or a Stellan or a whatever other SARS guards there are running around. Um So that's worth looking into. And then there's also another documentary series that I haven't watched yet called, um, oh, what is it called? Uh, now I can't find it. Um, but, oh, it's called The Fifth Estate. And The Fifth Estate is a, document, a Canadian documentary about what I'm going to talk about next. And this also had a huge impact on a lot of the things we learned. Um, because at the same time, all of this stuff is going on in the United States. Canada was being used um, also to test a lot of stuff and, and um, did some really, really not great things under the, under the direction of this guy named Donald Cameron. So the CIA exported experience to Canada through British psychiatrist, Dr. Uh, Donald Cameron, who had been working on different ways to correct schizophrenia and, um, in addition to LSD, he was also experimenting with other electro <laughs> Speaking of my tens machine, electro electroconvulsive therapy, which is basically the the um, one flu of the cuckoo's nest. You know, electrotherapy you see in the movies where they're holding up those huge things to your head and just like driving electricity through you. Um, so he was doing all these crazy things like putting people into drug-induced comas and playing tape loops over uh, like days and hours uh, of things to implant negative thoughts and nightmares. And like there was this one guy who just for, I wrote it down somewhere, but for like 84 days just had, he was in this medically induced coma and it just, had a repeating section of himself saying you killed your mother like for days and just doing experiments like that. Um, there was a lady named, uh, so he, he, his treatments resulted in his victims, uh, incontinence and amnesia, forgetting how to talk, forgetting their parents and thinking their interrogate, uh, in, interrogators were, uh, parents. So like people would just come with low grade, uh, Regular problems and he would this doctor uh, Donald Cameron would just do all of these experiments on them. Without their consent and without their knowledge, uh, there was this lady named Linda McDonald who was a housewife who just was struggling with things like anxiety and lack of sleep and depression and things like that. So he uh, diagnosed her with schizophrenia and sent her into a drug-induced coma for 86 days, during which electroshock therapy sessions uh, numbered in uh, up to 100. She went to knowing her name to then showing some mild confusion and then eventually being regressed so much, she had to be toilet trained again. She had no memory of herself, of her life, who she was, of anything. And there's a little tiny clip of her in this uh, Canadian documentary. And she's speaking just oh. like as a regular woman now um, about, she's like, and I had to relearn how to be toilet trained because like I had the brain of an infant uh, having to learn how to walk again and, um, Oh, it was 23 days of that guy hearing the, you killed your mother messages. You killed your mother. Um, so yeah, that documentary wow. and the documentary is on YouTube and it's called the fifth estate, which I haven't looked into because just this Canadian aspect of it is just monstrous. Just That's terrible. Yeah. Just monstrous. Um, so kind of moving quickly through through some of the rest of it, because like I said, it's it's very long, but they wanted to be able to use this on prisoners and because the CIA knew that they wouldn't be able to get allowed, uh, wouldn't be allowed to do a lot of this uh, in the United States and to avoid criminal po- prostitu- uh, prostitution, criminal prosecutions, um, they would go to Japan, uh, East Asia, the Philippines, Germany. Uh, and then experimented on uh prisoners there one of the projects was called subproject 54 uh was with uh Mon- there was a lot of things which is interesting on our podcast we've been talking about all these sonic sonic weapons right. and that mysterious stuff that's all going on like this i mean and experiments like that have been going on forever they were they were using radar concussives blasted at monkeys to see if they can make the monkeys go to sleep and they could, but if they did it like a little too much, the, they described it as their brains cooking like meat. Uh. And so it literally would cook the inside of, of an animal, including human. I imagine their bodies uh, just it's So all of stuff like that. So all of this was obviously kept very hidden until um, in 1973, amidst a government-wide panic (laughs) caused by good old Watergate. Um, That's when they uh, tried to destroy all these files. So most of them were destroyed a cachet of uh, 20,000 documents survived the purge uh, because they were incorrectly stored in a financial records building and discovered in 1977. Um, so that's why Gerald Ford had to come out and actually say, you know, sorry for, for all of this and all of that. And oh. um, he's the one who made it uh, in accordance with the guidelines for the national commitment. You couldn't, he ordered that you could not, uh, it not experiment on uh, with drugs on human subjects except with the, except for their, with their informed consent in writing and witnessed by a disinterested party, blah, blah, blah. Um, so to address that part of the human experimentation. So, and but even until the nineties, like I said, 2013, um, all of these things were still like working their way through courts, and um, that there might have been thousands of human subjects uh, and experiments uh, involved in all of this. So it's it's no wonder that conspiracy. I mean, we were kind of poking fun about conspiracy theories and and mind control and like all these wacky things that people are so readily able and willing to believe. But then you look into this, and you're like, oh. Right. Oh, this is literally happening. Like they are dosing people unaware, like general public members with drugs to just see what happens <laughs> and implant memories in them. Oh, and like my word. E- literally with the, with the goal of erasing their brains. That's what the woman who had to be uh, re re toilet trained. The, the goal of that experiment was just, Oh, Hey, can we erase someone's brain? Turns out you can. <sighs> I mean, it is, yeah, it is not. And I mean, it, it makes you part of the reason why living in a modern world is difficult is like when I look down at this coat that I got at Costco and these pants that I bought, you know, at Walmart or wherever I got them at, like what the human toll behind it is, like who's making them under what conditions. And like, I, I, I can't do anything about that, really. I right. mean, I can, but there is, not, there is literally nothing in my life that has not been touched somehow by conditions that were, are subhuman or whatever and having to wrestle with the fact that we're living in a world that is built on inequity and my life is made better by that. Like one hundred percent, and having to look at these—I—I I forget how that was all going to tie in with these experiments, but right. just or, or living in a country where I know this is happening. I mean, not to get a, a two—what a, was that? A, uh, I was going to say, too few men. No, a good, a few good men. Right. Where, like, this nation is built on walls, and you don't care about the people who stand on these walls to shoot everyone so that you can get your latte at Starbucks. You know, right, you can't right, right, right. handle the. True. Right. And, like, I, I know that. And, I mean, you've been in the military. You know that. Yep. Like, those are realities, and, like, how. Complicit, should I feel? How, like, how do I wrestle with that? Right. Or am I going to forget about this as soon as this podcast is done because my brain cannot handle that cognitive dissonance? Right. No, I,
0: I absolutely understand that, that position. And I don't have the cognition. (laughs) You don't have a good answer for me. (laughs) No, yeah. I don't have a good answer for you, but I, but I don't have a good answer for me either. Like, you know, uh, we, we have, uh, you know, you uh, a couple hours ago you sent me a video of a squirrel being chased by a cougar, and yes, it got caught and died. And I had the squirrel did the squirrel did, and I got upset. Like and and notably, like oh my goodness, this creature has just been captured and and killed and slaughtered slaughtered. And meanwhile, <laughs> North Korea. Uh, meanwhile. <laughs> you know, we, we have a truck, you know, the, the, uh, Iger's in China. I mean. uh, yeah. We have the state. Yeah, it, totally. And <laughs> we definitely have a, a complex relationship with, uh, things that are close to us versus things that, uh, that's happening over there. And I can't really fathom that, you know? And, right.
1: Yeah. Right. Our brains are only, it, it, It's the more I can't think about it too much because it literally just breaks my brain in half just to think about this. This pile of goo that is just sitting inside of our skull that it it's a pile of fat. I mean, how is it? How does it work? And the power that it has not just for being able to be manipulated by outside forces, but our own lengths of self-delusion and denial. and, And I don't say that condescendingly because, I mean, I'm a former alcoholic that like I had to really face the incredible amounts of denial that I was in and completely reconstruct everything that I had, you know, I had heard over my whole life and hold up each of them to see like how, What, what of this is bullshit and what of this is, you know, constructed and like do all that. So the amount of, of work it takes to work against your own brain in your brain's pursuit of self-preservation in and of itself is, is so crazy. So it's just, and then I mean, working with this, working with my electro tens unit or whatever, how our body this is this is very much going to steer into stonerville but how our body it works on electricity and like i'm eating a cheese puff that my body can turn into electricity (laughs) i mean what what is reality i mean that (laughs) that's so crazy that our bodies just produce electricity and just runs itself and it's it's nuts. So, yep, there's your 420 thoughts since we, <laughs> we didn't broadcast on on 420. So uh, all month is. 420.
0: Uh, what's that? All month is 420.
1: All month is 420. What a great 420. It's been <laughs> uh, anyway. Well, wow. I didn't have anything else. So that's
0: quite a quite a, a deep topic.
1: Yeah, well, and I mean, and literally that is barely scratching right. the surface of, because of, like I said, there's the MK Ultra, but then there's all of these. There's Project Bluebird and Project This and Project Guacamole, was one, no, Avocado was another big one. And it turned and, into Guacamole. It just goes, yeah, it just keeps going deeper and deeper and <clears throat> into the rabbit hole. And yeah, it wasn't
0: until I watched the recent series on um, Amazon prime called hunters that huh. I
1: learned about operation paperclip. Uh, so right after- now I didn't get to, so what is there a gist to that? Cause yeah. I mentioned it, but only as it kind of crossed. into. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, I think you had had some of the, the detail uh, correct. And, and some um, it was basically after world war two, you know, Germany had invested all of its energy into technology innovation, and they were on the way to a nuclear bomb and on their way to having uh, launches of, of rockets and, and all these things. And so the United States government brought all of the scientists from all the, the Nazi scientists, like the, the worst of the worst scientists, That were doing experiments on humans and were uh just monsters they brought them into the united states and gave them new identities and uh and high ranking positions at nasa and uh and all of these government agencies that went on to develop our space program and uh, there were executives at Disney uh, making Disneyland <laughs> that were Nazi, like originally Nazis, and and I
1: did not see that coming. Not
0: see that one, uh, and <laughs> and it because you know the the head of Imagineering at that time was a former Nazi, and it it came out much later uh, about what the origins were, but um, yeah, um, and how do you reconcile both of those? Like they are that we
1: probably would not have made it to the moon without the Nazis. Uh, Well, I mean, but it, that too is like everything in life. Like you said, you know, the worst of the worst scientists. And I guess if you are, if you are actually experimenting on human beings, I guess there's no, there's not a lot of wiggle room on that one, but can a person, be reformed? Can a person use their power of evil for good? Can we redirect this thing? That is the science is not good or bad. The science is the science. Can we use that in arenas that further us as opposed to cook our monkey brains like a microwave? <laughs> right.
0: Right. And so, so, um, so the show hunters is about a, group of uh people in the United States that are actively seeking out uh those Operation Paperclip people in the sixties and seventies and oh fascinating uh, and
1: killing them in uh eighties
0: maybe
1: yeah. Nice. Yeah and like I'd mentioned that um the Netflix series Wormwood, which I'm assuming the rest of it is good. Uh, I have not watched it yet. Uh, and then on YouTube, the Fifth Estate, which is a pretty deep dive into the Canadian aspects of it, uh, which we we kind of glossed over there. Um, I do before we go. I want to compliment you on your background because I had totally forgotten. You are not in your living room, Mark. Do you want to describe your Zoom background a second? It. This is my. Be- this is the real thing. Oh, that's the real thing. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. And so. Uh, I moved so you are sitting in your living room. I'm right now. sitting in my living room, and then I can put on this background. Boop. And okay, and um, what I did, uh, so I, I'm part of a book club, there's uh, several ladies in the area and I that uh, <laughs> read books every month or so, and uh, we are now doing our book club via Zoom. So before the call, uh, I set up the camera exactly where I sit in the living room at my computer and um just let it play for a while or record for a while and then I made a couple subtle entrances in the background uh where I passed by and then I like made a little cameo and then uh I recorded that edited it to make the pauses just a little bit longer. So it ends up being about a five and a half minute loop of a video. And I set that as my background movie, uh, zoom (laughs) that, that looks just like the setting that I'm sitting in. So I can turn it on and off at, at my leisure. And, uh, (laughs) it took four full cycles of, uh, me walking in the background and interrupting myself, uh, and I I explained it as my brother had been kicked out of his house because <laughs> of uh, too much, uh, you know, uh, uh, corrosion and not corrosion, too much corrosion, <laughs> coronavirus um, quarantine, too much quarantine, and uh, that got kicked out of his house, and now he's living with
1: us. And like, he looks just like you, and uh, <laughs> and well, the first and like to be fair, since you've been describing this, you put the vi- your video back on, and, and nothing has happened. It's just your regular background, right? And what's so great about it is it's so subtle because the first one you just walk by in the background, but it looks like a very skinny version of you. <laughs> so it it's plausible that like oh that's just some other guy, but yeah, you just like quickly walk through the background. So like if you're looking away or not paying attention, you you don't see it. Oh, there you go. There you go. I was waiting to snap a picture of it (laughs) and then it's gone for a couple minutes. And then later you give yourself a cup of coffee or something like that. Exactly. I come to the desk and and just put a a cup of tea on the desk and, uh, then walk away. And so funny. Yeah. So great. All right. Well, it's been nice seeing you again. Maybe I'll see you. I, I think I'm going to try to come up to, uh, Come up to see Brian to drop off his, his birthday present uh, from his bottom porch to him up on his top porch at some <laughs> point because it's his birthday, the Unipipers' birthday this week. Uh, so wish the Unipiper a happy birthday. I believe Yay. it's Wednesday, maybe. Um, and don't tell him he's getting one of these. Oh, what if he listens to this? I guess I will. Oh, there you are again. There I am. Oops. I'm going to try to take a one. screenshot.
0: Uh, I'll send you a little clip. I've got a little video. Oh, you missed time. it. Okay.
1: <laughs> um. But yes, I will. I won't spoil it in case Brian actually somehow listens to this podcast, but um, (laughs) wish him a happy birthday. Happy birthday, Brian. Um, thank you to everyone that listens. Um, and I hope everyone's holding up. Well, we're getting near ish towards the beginning of the end of maybe this being (laughs) over. That's how I'll hedge my bets. (laughs) (laughs) So Um, we've,
0: we've talked about, uh, wish.com in the past, uh, uh, last year yeah. for your birthday I got a bunch of things off of wish which is just a, a oh, Chinese... there you are poking <laughs> in the background again so he'll he'll come back in in like a, a minute and a half or so uh, and wave <laughs> um, and so wishcom is a uh, a website that's a marketplace there' he is. Uh, it's a market marketplace for Chinese made goods right and um they have traditionally it's just kind of all across the board just weird things and uh, they have shifted half uh, i would say solidly half of the items are now either um, masks things to masturbate with or leisure wear (laughs) sweats And so, like all types of sweatpants, all like a full sweat jumper, like just sweat, and and then all types of masks. I would,
1: I would say those last two items work in opposition to each other. But maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just doing it wrong. I guess maybe I'm wearing the wrong, maybe I'm wearing the wrong sweatpants. Exactly. Exactly. I did. I. It's funny that the the electro shock thing that I got. I was reading through all of it. Instructions or whatever, and warnings. Then one of the warnings was like, War and all capital is warnings do not use on neck or genitals. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, yes. nice Got well it. on that note inexplicably we will <laughs> end the show uh, listen to fun employment radio they are doing shows every day of the week still and they're actually doing Friday night little happy hour get-togethers over zoom and Skype so if you're uh, wanting to hang out that way that's a great way to do it um, if not just keep doing what you're doing in case unless you're doing it wrong then don't do that anymore um, I think I've ran much like, much like when the steam is, Oh, I guess I can't talk about that. I was going to talk about the gizmo that Uh, I got for Brian, but I was going to say much like when the coffee is no longer warm, the gear is running, (laughs) is running down. So, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, we will see you next week. I will take us out with something or other. So until then stay safe. We will talk to you later. All right. Bye.
0: Some people have a deep, abiding respect for the natural beauty that was once this country. And some people don't. People start pollution. People can stop it. Write for Pollution Booklet, Box 1771, Radio City Station, New York.